So our our reading this evening comes from Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to read the part written to the church in Smyrna. So that'll be Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through to 11. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they're Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you'll suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Let's pray as we come to this passage. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, what we've already heard in this service about how your gospel is growing in the church in Nepal. And uh, we pray as we hear now about this church in Smyrna uh, and what they underwent. Uh, We pray that you would give us strength, you'd give us courage, you'd give us a bigger vision of what you're doing uh, in the world. Uh, and a greater hope uh, for that final day. Amen. So the church in Smyrna was suffering, uh, suffering particularly because they were Christians. Uh, They were suffering financially. Uh, Perhaps their businesses were being shut down or people were avoiding their businesses because they were Christians. Perhaps uh, they were being fined for not offering incense to Caesar and praying to him. Um, Perhaps there were some heavy taxes. Uh, For whatever reason, they were suffering financially. Uh, And as Jesus speaks to them, he says, uh, with all of this going on, some of you are also going to be put into prison um, and possibly even to death because of your faith in me. And when, when we see that, St. Andrew's, doesn't seem much like the church in Smyrna. Um, Not saying that people here aren't suffering, it's just for most of us, we're probably not suffering specifically because of our faith. Uh, And and to me, at least, that that presents a problem straight up because um, Scripture is God-breathed, is meant to be relevant for us, it's useful for us, uh, for every person at every time in every place, the word of God is useful. Uh, so what does this letter to people who are under intense persecution have to say to us? Uh, I would like to suggest uh, three particular ways that it can help us. Uh, and firstly, uh, it helps us because it shows us we're not the only church in the world. Um, and then secondly and thirdly, more on the persecution, it helps us know how to prepare for persecution and how to persevere through persecution. But firstly, we're not the only church in the world. Each one of these letters to the church in Revelation, it struck me as I was preparing, each one is read by all the other churches. 
Uh, Each letter is to a specific church, but all seven churches are are reading them and hearing what's going on. At the close of every letter, Jesus says, uh, the one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, uh, all the churches. Uh, And so even though the other churches weren't facing what Smyrna faced, Jesus still wanted them to listen to what he was saying. Uh, And so for us, we're we're not in that same situation, but he still wants us to hear about it. Uh, And it's a helpful reminder because it it shows us that when we come to Scripture, it's not talking just about us in our situation at our time. When we gather together like this on a Sunday, uh, it's not only to help us get through the next six days of our week. Uh, God wants, through his word, to give us new eyes to see the world, to to see it as it really is, Uh, to see what he is doing, not just in the past, or or not just here and now with us, but but throughout history. Uh, As Simon reminded us in his sermon on chapter 1, Revelation gives us uh, a point in the past and a point in the future Uh, to look at and so that we can know where we are in the present. Uh, But it also gives us a global vision of what God is doing and expands our horizons beyond what might happen to us over the next week. Uh, And so when we come to the letter to the church in Smyrna, we can either uh, kind of skip ahead and find something that relates a bit more immediately to us, or, or we can stop and we can ask what God means us to hear even though it's not immediately our experience. And I think it particularly opens our eyes uh, to the worldwide church and to the persecuted church specifically. See, the the church in Smyrna is actually well represented globally. It may not be our experience, but but it certainly is the experience of many Christians in the world. Um, We've heard about uh, the church in Nepal this evening. Uh, I'm sure you have heard about what Christians in Iraq are facing from the Islamic State. Uh, There are organizations like Open Doors which list the churches around the world that are facing persecution in North Korea and Syria and many other countries. And so as we read about the church in Smyrna, it's an opportunity uh, actually to, to not look at ourselves firstly, but to look at the church worldwide. And of all the the seven churches that Jesus writes to, only two don't get any criticism. The church in Smyrna and the church in Philadelphia. All all these other churches, Ephesus with its sound teaching as we heard about last week, Laodicea, really wealthy, doing uh, well it seems, Thyatira growing nicely, Sardis, the one that everyone says is such a lively one to go to, Pergamum, which has historically gone through persecution and has endured. All of those, Jesus has something that he wants to correct. But but Smyrna and Philadelphia, the, the ones that are suffering right now, he just has words of encouragement and comfort. It's not, maybe Smyrna would not be necessarily a church that we would pick if we were going on a church search around Turkey, but it's one that Jesus has a particular tenderness and love for. And so as we hear about the churches in Iraq and elsewhere, uh, we can know that Jesus has a particular concern and love for them. But it does work the other way around too. But because the church in Smyrna 
gets to know that they're not the only church in the world. They're not on their own. They're not on their own in their suffering. Uh, And they have, through the words of Jesus, other churches that they know have endured through suffering or are currently suffering. They had examples to encourage them in their moment of need. Uh, And so while we, at the moment, uh, are looking at the church, maybe in Iraq or or wherever, in Syria, North Korea, and, and we're not in their situation. We can pray for them. We can support in different ways. At some point, the tables may turn. We may be the ones on the receiving end. And at that point, it will be a comfort to know we're not the only church in the world. But the letter to Smyrna does give us the chance, while we're not facing persecution, to to be prepared for what that might be like if it comes. We can, we can see how Jesus makes them ready for what they're about to face. So what do we need? Well, firstly, I think we need new eyes to see the world. One of the, the key things in Revelation is that, that things on the surface are not actually uh, what they are in reality. So the reality of the universe with the risen Jesus reigning, uh, is different from what it often often seems like on the ground in our daily life. And and so, to the church in Smyrna, Jesus says, I know your poverty, but you're rich. Now, he's not saying that actually they've got hidden cash stashed somewhere, uh, church reserves that they can draw on in their time of need. No, they're, they're definitely poor. They're definitely suffering financially. But actually, that's not the ultimate reality that determines their existence. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, you know, we have nothing yet possess everything. You see, Jesus is reminding the church in Smyrna, yes, you don't have money, maybe, but you're heirs of eternal life. You're co-heirs with me. You're going to reign with me. You possess me, Jesus Christ, the one who has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You have all the riches of God's grace. Yes, you're poor, but yes, you're rich. And in times of intense suffering and persecution, our vision very easily gets narrowed down to to what is happening to us here and now. And so Jesus graciously comes and says, yes, that suffering is real, but remember, it's not the only thing that is true. You are rich in me. But then he also gives them new eyes, possibly more controversially, when he says, I know the slander of those who call themselves Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. You see, the, the surface level, people that perhaps the Christians might have expected support from, uh, perhaps at least neutrality from, people who surely would be sympathetic to the news that the Messiah had come. Uh, but the reality is that they're being slandered. They're being taken to the authorities by the people they would think would support them. The people who, who should be eager to see God working in the world are instead opposed to what he's doing. Perhaps one of the most painful experiences 
generally in, in human life, but particularly as, as a Christian, is when, when we're opposed not by strangers, not by people we don't really know, but when people we, we think we know let us down. So William Tyndale, uh, one of the greatest scholars of his generation, translated the Bible, much of it, into English for the first time and was burned at the stake for doing so, was ultimately betrayed by a man who had gained his trust. I was reading on the Open Doors website this week about the situation in Iraq, and and some of the Christians were saying that that of all the things they've suffered, the death threats, the the threats of heavy taxation unless they uh, renounce their faith, of all those things, and they've made them to flee their homes, they said, you know, one of the most painful things is that it was our neighbors who told on us. You know, people we lived with for years, and they were the ones that told the Islamic State that we were Christians. The church in Smyrna is facing that kind of thing. People, people they think they know, they, that, that should, surely should help them, slandering them. And so they needed to know that, that how they saw the world wasn't actually necessarily the world as it truly is. But we also prepare for persecution by, by recognizing persecution is never merely human. It's never just a, a political or an ideological thing. It's actually, as Revelation tells us, it's actually part of the long-running battle between God and Satan. It is, it is a manifestation of that. The, the opposition of these Jews, the reason that they're called a synagogue of Satan is not that they've all become devil worshippers overnight. It's because they, through what they're doing, are, are doing the work of the one who later in Revelation is called the accuser of the brethren. They may not know that that's what they're doing, but that is what they're doing. When Jesus is preparing the church for prison and potentially death, he says the devil will put some of you in prison. Now he doesn't mean that the pointy-hatted man is going to march along the streets and whip them all off. He means that behind the civic authorities and the persecution that is going on is the devil working to undermine the work of God. It's not political. It's not ideological. This is a spiritual thing that is happening. And the, the importance of knowing that this is a spiritual thing is that we know how the spiritual battle ends because we have the end of the book of Revelation. You know, politics changes all the time. We don't know who's going to win the next general election here. And an ideology has changed. People are trying to work out, is the Islamic State going to spread or is it going to shrink? And how are the other players going to, how's that going to affect? And we don't know how that's going to end. But we know how the spiritual battle is going to end. The people in Smyrna knew how it was going to end. And so it gives hope because we know that God wins. So that's how we prepare for persecution. How then do we persevere when it does come? What, what is it that Jesus says to enable these believers to be faithful even unto death? Well, he reassures them firstly that, that ultimately it comes to an end. He says that the devil will throw some of you in prison for 10 days. It's, it's a definite period of time. It's going to come to an end. 
I don't think it's 10 literal days. I think what John is doing is referring to the book of Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel and his friends um, ask to not eat the king's food. We were just looking at this a few weeks ago at the 4 o'clock service. And they ask to be put on a diet of vegetables for 10 days. And everyone thinks, well, this is going to wreck you. You're going to be weak. You're going to be useless. And ultimately, the king's going to get mad and kill you. And actually, at the end of those 10 days, they are stronger and fitter than everyone else. And so what I think John is doing, he's, he's saying through the words of Jesus, he's saying, be encouraged. This period of persecution that the devil thinks is going to end up with you as a church being weaker and useless, maybe not even being a church at the end of it, actually, actually like Daniel and his friends, these 10 days will cause you to be stronger and you'll be faithful. You see, this, this period of persecution, it's limited And actually, under the control and sovereignty of Jesus Christ, it will be turned for for good and God's glory. Secondly, Jesus promises them the crown of life. There's an eternal reward for their endurance through persecution. So when these persecutors think that they're crushing the church, they're taking away their freedom and their finances, maybe even their life, Jesus says, no, actually, I'm going to give you the crown of life eternally. So Jim Elliott, a missionary who in the 1950s, I think, uh, with four other young men was killed by the tribe that he was going to reach in Ecuador. He said before that, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus is saying to the church in Smyrna, yes, whatever they think they're taking, there's stuff that you will not lose if you're faithful. And thirdly and finally, in in persevering through this persecution, uh, they have Jesus himself. His opening words to them, the first and the last, the one who was dead and now lives forever. See, Jesus, when he says, I know your suffering, he doesn't mean I've heard it on the news like we know the suffering of people in Iraq. No, he knows their suffering because he's been through it himself. When he says, I know your poverty, he's been through that himself. He didn't have anywhere to lay his head. When he says, I know the slander of those who think they're doing God's work but actually are opposed to it, he he knows that. He stood before the high priest and was accused of blasphemy. He he knows what they're going through. And and so he stands before them and says, look, I, I know. And I was faithful to death. I even know that. And he says, look, I'm alive forever. I'm alive forever. What, what can they do? You, you can die, but, but I will raise you. I'll give you the crown of life. And, and so he stands there, not, not just as the one who knows in a kind of abstract way, but the one who knows personally, intimately, what his church is suffering. And so he can come and comfort them. And, and that is what gives them perseverance and patience through the suffering. About 60-ish years after this was written, uh, the Bishop of Smyrna, Polycarp, was brought before the Roman authorities. He was 86, uh, and the, the authorities said, you know, just, it's easy, just pray to Caesar, just say you don't believe in Jesus, just renounce your faith, just, it's easy. And he said, no, 86 years I've served my Lord, why would I blaspheme him now? 
He's been faithful to me. He was burned at the stake uh, and then stabbed when the flames didn't burn him. This happened, and yet, yet, because of Jesus' words to his church, they were faithful to death. If and when we suffer for our faith, whether it's to this extent, whether it's to a lesser extent, remember, we're not on our own. The world is not as it may seem, in the midst and the, the intensity of the suffering. It's not always as it seems. But most of all, remember, we have a risen Lord who has died and is alive forever and will give us eternal life to us and all of his suffering servants. Amen.